Hello, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, a show created by an anxiety specialist and neuroscientist, me, that offers unique, practical, and actionable advice to help you understand what anxiety truly is and exactly what you can do to empower yourself to resolve it. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Kennedy, an MD who suffered with crippling anxiety for 30-plus years, and traditional therapy from psychiatrists and psychologists really didn't help me feel better. And I also didn't like being on psych meds. In 2013, after burning out and leaving medical practice, I came to the conclusion that if I was ever going to heal my anxiety, I would have to do it myself. And that's exactly what I did, drawing from experiences with psychedelics and holistic healing and combining those modalities with my scientific academic background in medicine, neuroscience, and developmental psychology. Here on the Anxiety Arcs podcast, I offer a distinctly non-traditional and non-medical approach to understanding and healing anxiety. So despite the fact I'm trained as a physician, in no way is what I say and suggest to be construed as medical advice because none of the ways I use to resolve anxiety has anything to do with traditional allopathic medicine. From my own healing, I've created a distinctly non-traditional understanding and approach that helps thousands of people from all over the world understand and relieve their chronic anxiety. So if you're ready, let's get into today's episode. This episode, I'm going to talk about parents. So maybe trigger warning, if you had a difficult parent, uh, maybe this is not the best one for you to listen to because it may trigger you. And I'll also tell you right now, I'm not at my best. My mother just got out of the hospital, parent, and I am staying over at her place many nights to kind of make sure she's okay because she's not okay on her own. So between my, my brother Scott and I, we are trying to ease her transition back into living where she is, but she won't be able to live there very long because she needs extended care now. So I'm not at 100%, but I I do want to talk about this because this is really such a key issue for most of us who struggle with anxiety is one or both of our parents were not there for us on some level. Now, I know we can all say that. We can all say, I mean, if we look at the statistics about who has secure parenting, they say, the statistics are that 47% of us have secure parenting, which means that more than half of us don't. And other types uh, of uh, attachment styles, avoidant, uh, disorganized, uh, anxious attachment, that's what we get. And parents are so important because 80% of our development, our brain's development occurs in the first five years of our lives. So if our parents are there for us, if they're connected and loving and physically loving and connected to us, like really connected to us, our brains develop in such a way that we see the world as a safe place. However, if our parents aren't there, if they have their own shit to deal with, which I don't know, 90% of parents I think have on some level, like most of my friends, I, I went through this on my, on my prep for this today when I was walking the dogs. It's like, how many of my friends had good parents and not many, not many, um, you know, addiction, uh, personality disorders and alcoholism. So many of my friends, and I think this is just kind of a snapshot of, of, of our world is that it's very stressful. You know, I don't think we've ever had a time in human history where, where most of our, our creature comforts are looked after, you know, we have uh, food, shelter, Instagram, you know, we have all this stuff, but 
our emotional needs, especially after COVID, especially after the separation we all endured from COVID, because as I've said before, all anxiety is separation anxiety, all anxiety, separation anxiety at some level, mostly separation from your parent early on, which creates this separation inside of yourself where you start judging, abandoning, blaming, and shaming yourself because of what went on in your family. If what your family went through when you were developing wasn't a safe, loving environment, and lots of families go through shit, but they still are able to stick together and other families aren't. And it depends on, you know, I look at my own parents. I look at my my father who was schizophrenic and bipolar. He was born premature, very, very premature. They didn't expect him to live. He only weighed two pounds when he was born in 1934. So he wasn't expected to live, but he did. He had some issues. Um, you know, he'd appear normal for sure. But as he got older and into his early 20s, he started showing signs of schizophrenia and bipolar. And, you know, that was that. So a lot of stress in his childhood, for sure. I, I remember seeing a picture of him in a classroom when he was about 10, and he looks just absolutely petrified. The other kids are like, oh, whatever. You know, and he's like, oh, what's going on? And my mother grew up in this Scottish household. She was the middle of four kids, two brothers below her, two brothers above her. And I don't think they really got a whole lot of attention. If I look at the stories about her own father and how detached he was, just the role of parents. Really, it's so important to have a parent that sees you, hears you, loves you, and protects you. And I think a lot of us, when we're younger, especially if we experience something you know, outside of the home, you know, like bullying, we don't tell our parents. You know, we're ashamed when something's happening. If we're emotionally, physically, sexually abused outside of the home, we don't tend to tell our parents. So we deal with it ourselves and that creates its own level of trauma and its own level of anxiety and depression and eating disorders and personality disorders. So I think it's really important to discuss the role of, of secure attachment and parenting because so few of us actually had it. I know that for a long time I thought, well, maybe I'm the only one who had like a severely mentally ill dad and a mother who wasn't that emotionally connected. She wasn't terrible by any means at all. Uh, she worked a lot. She was the main, my mother was the main caregiver uh, for the family as far as an, an income earner as well. And she also did all, all the laundry, all the all the meals, all this stuff. She adopted the motherhood role as well as the, I guess, fatherhood role as well. And it was really hard for her. Uh, so she didn't have a whole lot of time left over to be loving and attentive. And at some point she would be. But there wasn't a whole, there, there wasn't any I love you's from my mother or my father, as I recall, uh, when I was growing up. Um, there was a little bit of physical touch, but not very much. Because I don't think my mother got very much physical affection when she was younger. So, you know, it's the old story, you can't give what you didn't get. And I see that with people, and especially the people that I deal with who I do coaching with for anxiety. They, will, they often go the other way. Well, my parent was really uh, not there for me. So they overcompensate by giving their kids everything, you know, making sure they don't experience. And that has its own problems as well. But you know, given the choice of the two, you'd want a parent that, give you a, that maybe gave you too much and gave you too little. Because as I said, our brain development is so important that we see the world as a safe place if we have safe parents and our brain 
specifically our lower brain, our unconscious brain, our subcortical brain, and those structures that really run our lives, the unconscious brain really runs our lives, those structures form very early. And if they're formed in fear, that's kind of the, the glasses that we see the world through for the rest of our lives. So brain development's really important. So if you have secure attachment, your brain develops, it develops faster. It develops into a, a more healthy state. We look at amygdala size, hippocampus size, that kind of thing. If you had an attached parent, you have the optimal brain development and the format, the, the, the foundation of your nervous system forms in safety. And that's important because then you see the world as a safe place. And if you can see the world as a safe place, you just have this milieu that, you know, things can go wrong, but I'm still safe. I'm still okay. And I think when you grow up thinking that the world isn't safe, if you don't have a parent who takes care of your needs, or worse, a parent who's abusive, or narcissistic, or completely self-centered, or manipulative, so many of my friends and, the, and also my, my clients, in a way, have this pattern where their parent was, you know, abused them in some way, or they experienced great loss, or their parents got divorced, or a, a abandoned them on some level. There's errors of omission and errors of commission. Errors of omission are, you know, you just didn't give the kid enough love and support. Errors of commission are when you purposefully don't look after them or you abuse them in some way. So our brain develops depending on our internal environment and external environment as children. So the parent plays such a huge role. So with, I want to get into a little bit about my parents and then sort of open it up to a sort of a wider view of parenting, parenting in general. So my father was, as I said, schizophrenic and bipolar. He committed suicide when I was 26. And that was the same year I got into medical school. And at the time, it was a relief because he was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse emotionally, physically. And it was just painful to watch how, you know, your parent just declined like that. And I'm kind of seeing that again. I'm revisiting that 35 plus years later with my mother because she's declining as well emotionally and physically and mentally. So it reminds me the same old feeling, the same old alarm comes up in my system when I see my mother decline in a way that my father declined. Not, of course, exactly the same way, but kind of similar. Kind of similar in a way when you see a parent just sort of fading away. So... I think what's really important to understand is that our parents parent the way they were parented mostly, unless they're really aware and or they adopt the counter strategy of doing the exact opposite of what their parents did. And I think it's really under, to understand where this parent come from because it's, it's important to develop a relationship with your parent, even, even if it's a parent who is abusive to you. If you can find some small thing, and I know this is really difficult, this is really hard, developing some small connection with them. My friend and author of the book, It Didn't Start With You, Mark Willen, had this great saying in one of his, one of his well, he's just repeated it in a lot of his seminars. He'd say, say your parent gave you 2% of what you needed. So look at that as a, as a tap and put your, put your cup under the 2% and fill your cup up with the 2%. And that's always kind of stuck with me because I think our parents don't mean to be abusive. 
or hurtful or abandoning. But it's just the way they were raised. It's the way their brains developed. So it's very hard to give what you didn't get. So I see a lot of people who had a bad relationship with a parent and they hold that parent in mistrust and, and a lot of negative emotion. And I see those people really suffer emotionally and physically because if you don't have a, a view of your parent that's favorable, you tend to get sicker in your 50s, 60s, and 70s. It's just what we've, what we've seen. So it's almost like tricking yourself in a way into developing like what about your parent was good. And I know sometimes for some people that's almost impossible. But even if they gave you life, and I know this sounds kind of Pollyanna and oh, you know, kumbaya, everyone has to love each other. But it's important for your own health to be able to see your parent in a favorable light. Not all the time, but if you look at them with, a, with negative eyes all the time. And it tends to be this, this railroad. Like we, when you think of your parent, you think this one thing. Like for me, for a long time, it was like my dad was mentally ill. Uh, he was very selfish. He did a lot of things that were just plain crazy. And that's how I looked at him. Now, you know, five years later, five years on, I'm kind of like, oh, you know, he really suffered. And I, the other thing about my father is I looked at him as very weak. But really, to to really just still live with schizophrenia and bipolar, it required a tremendous amount of strength for him to just live. And I'm surprised in many ways that he lived as long as he did because I think he had five previous suicide, serious suicide attempts before that. And it took a lot of strength, I think, just to go through every day. And every day wasn't horrible. There was months at a time, especially when I was younger, where he was great. He was very attentive dad, very funny, uh, very intelligent, really, really intelligent. And it was, it was great to be around. Ta taught me how to fish, ride a bike, hit a ball, all that kind of stuff. But as I got older and as he got older, he became more and more withdrawn and more and more mentally ill. And the episodes were becoming more and more closer together. So instead of having, you know, 12 or 18 months, he would go, you know, three or four months before an episode where he'd wind up back in the hospital or, or just severely incapacitated. So what happened with me is that I put all my eggs, uh, despite my dad being the more loving and caring and affectionate one of the two of them, I put all my eggs in my mother's basket because I couldn't trust my father. When you see your father go psychotic and manic a number of times, you kind of go, yeah, unconsciously, unconsciously, I can't trust this guy. I really can't. So I put all my eggs into my mother's basket and started, in a way, emulating her way of being because I thought consciously and unconsciously, it's probably not safe to be like my dad. So I'll be more like my mother. I'll be more reserved. It's not, I'm not saying that my mother was cold, but she wasn't warm. I'd say that, which is funny because everybody who's worked with my mother, uh, she was a registered nurse for 30 plus years, loves her sense of humor, loves her warmth. You know, they all say, oh, she was so fun to be with and so connected, which got me fucking angry because it was like, well, why didn't I get that? You know, all these people are saying that because my mother is very well regarded for sure, uh, among the, especially among the people she worked with. And everyone loved her. They thought she was great. She was funny. And, and what I've come to know is that she was happy to be out of the house and working you know, and, and not around my crazy father. So 
I can see how she'd be light and, and connected there. But when she got home and into the trauma bond of this whole family, uh, my brother, my mother, my father and me, I think it really affected her. Well, I know it really affected her. I know it really affected my brother and I as well. And, you know, the, the whole family was kind of traumatized. But we learned how to adapt. We learned how to cope. And, and I talked to a lot of people from a lot of families that had a lot of problems. And they give me a similar story is that, you know, I, I'm not that attached to my, my siblings because it just reminds me of the trauma of my youth. So not only do the parents kind of screw you up individually, <laughs> fuck up your relationship with your siblings as well because you don't want to be in that house. You don't want to be in an environment that's, that's it's harmful and it's painful. And you associate, like I know I associate my brother with, with that painful environment. And so he and I could have a better relationship. We still have a pretty good relationship. I, I took him out for steak and lobster earlier on this week because it was his birthday. And we still have a pretty good relationship. We have a great sense of humor together, my brother and I. Uh, we laugh a lot, especially at, at my mother's expense these days. But it's just so frustrating to deal with, with these details when, you know, when your parent starts to fail and you have to start looking after them. And in many ways, I've been looking after my mother since I've been a teenager. There's a resentment there. If you didn't get what you needed from them, you know, now they're demanding it essentially from you and you're like, well, you weren't there for me. You don't say this. I don't say this to myself consciously, but I certainly feel that way. Like I noticed when I was over there yesterday, like I was there for 24 hours and uh, there was points there where I was giving her some ice cream. I gave her some grapes and, you know, I held her hand and, and it just felt like we were really bonded and close and just felt secure. And then there's, she's kind of deaf as a post these days. So she'll, <laughs> this is one thing, I hope I don't break my microphone with this one, but, but uh, I'll say things to her and she'll say, what? And, you know, like, you know, she'll automatically just say, what? And I'll say it louder and she'll say, speak up, speak up. Like it's my fucking fault that she can't hear a goddamn thing, right? So, and it just annoys me. So then I just yell at her like, Scott is coming over today at 7.30. And then she realizes that she's, you know, kind of done this. and She backs off a little bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now what I do with her is if I want to tell her something, this is exactly what I'll do. You know, I'll come up into her space and I'll say, just nonsense syllables. She'll go, what? Because there's no point in me saying what I need to say because she won't hear it. So she'll just say what? So now I just go, she'll say what? And then she'll listen to me and then I'll say what I have to say. So parents, again, I told you this is going to be kind of rambling. I'm not sleeping well these days because I'm staying with her a lot of the time. So, but I'm committed to putting out an episode every week. So this episode may suck or it may really, it may really connect with you. I don't know, but I'm going to put it out anyway because I'm committed to doing this every week, putting out an episode every week. So parents, and a lot of intergenerational family, there's a saying that, so there's a lot of intergenerational family trauma that gets out. There's a saying that said, what you don't see in your parent, you are going to emulate yourself. So I can see how I can be cold and distant sometimes. Like, especially when I get stressed, like right now, I, I dissociate a little bit. And I was talking to my friend this morning and he said, yeah, this is you. Because you're, he says, you're very good for helping other people. But when it comes to when you need help, you don't really ask for it. And I don't really know how. I, I don't really know how to ask for connection and support. 
Of course, I'm better at it now than I was, but especially if I start going into that groove of uncomfortable, like if I'm feeling uncomfortable with my, especially with my mother, the way she is now, I withdraw. I, there's a little dissociation there. Now, I'm aware of it. I have all the skills, right? I wrote the damn book. I'm aware of it, but I still do it. <laughs> I, still, I still go into dissociation. So I've been making a real effort when I'm around the house to be connected with my stepsons and my wife. And, and it doesn't feel natural at first, but once I start doing it, it flows a lot better, just like this podcast today. Like now, when I started today, I was really off balance. Like, oh, I got to do this again today. I got to do this this week. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this podcast. But now I'm kind of in the groove of it a little bit. Hopefully I can slow down. I can center on myself and just talk about, about parents. You know, So what we don't see in our parent, we often replicate ourselves. So I tell people, how are you like your parent? Like I'm like my mother that I can dissociate. I can become kind of distant. Not kind of, but I can become distant for sure. And because these things get handed down to generate. And then there's intergenerational trauma, you know, and, and there's another saying that says we are raised by our grandparents, which means our grandparents raised our parents in a certain way and, our, and we're likely to be raised in the exact same way that they were because they just, parenting styles get handed down. Trauma gets handed down. And people contact me very regularly. Can you work with my 16-year-old daughter? Can you work with my 18-year-old son? Can you work with my 12-year-old daughter? And I tell them universally, it's like, well, I'll work with you first and I'll help you heal your anxiety because chances are they're feeling your anxiety. And I think kids are born into this environment these days. There is this sense of energy that's in the world that's difficult. Uh, we've never been so addicted to alcohol, prescription drugs, illicit drugs, um, porn, uh, in Instagram, social media. There's a very heavy nature to our society these days. And years ago, our parents didn't even think about therapy. It just wasn't even, it wasn't even on their radar. And plus there was a huge stigma against it. So nobody really looked at parenting as anything but, well, it's automatic. You just do it a certain way. We don't question it. We just keep going this certain way. And I think we parent the way that we were parented in a lot of ways. And how are you like your parent? This is painful. It's painful for me to see, you know, how am I, how am I like my father? I, I can have selfish traits. I can be very self-centered at points. Now I see it. So it's, I, I can, I can modulate it a little bit, but when I get stressed, I will fall into that old familiar groove. And I would ask you, you know, how are you like your parent? It's hard. It's hard to go into that. because. If, but if you don't see it, you're going to repeat it either with your kids or in your own life. So it's really important to see how, how is my family dynamic repeated in my adult life. So for me, chaos was, was normal. Chaos and detachment. You know, my mother wasn't around as much as I would have liked. So I detach from that. I, as kids do, they go, okay, well, if the love's not there, I'm not going to attach it. And as I said before, because I couldn't really trust my father, I stopped really trusting the love and care from him, which was there, but I was just, after a while, I was like, look, man, you're crazy. I, I can't really trust you, so I'm not going to give my heart to you. And then my mom's not around, so I developed this kind of, you know, I'll do it myself nature. 
alpha child. I, I think I've talked about that before on Instagram. I became an alpha child. I hate being told what to do. I like to think that I know what's going on. This is why I do this. <laughs> One of the reasons I do this is like, I think I know what's going on with this anxiety gig and I want to help you understand what's going on. So getting back to, to parents, how are you like your parent? How is your childhood? How are you replicating things in your adulthood that you did in your childhood? So for me, chaos was normal for me. So I, I take on too much. I, I, you know, I probably became a doctor. It was probably too much for me. Well, it was too much for me because I burned out. But even med school, making it through, I was a nervous wreck through med school. But be, I made it because I thought, well, if I can make it through med school, A, I'm not schizophrenic because that was one of the things I used to tell myself. If you can make it through med school and all the stress of med school and you don't come out schizophrenic, you're probably never going to get it. And I actually told myself that. So how is your adult life, your adult surroundings similar to your childhood? So A, how are you like your parent? How are you like your, your mother or your father? Write it down so you can see it and, and, and fully embrace it in yourself too. It's, it's you know, part of my work to get people to find their shadow selves, as Jung would say, and embrace that part of you because I embrace the part of me that dissociates because I know that I'm hurting and it's a sign for me that, that I have to pay more attention to myself and give that sort of love protection and see, hear, and protect my younger self. Now, I know I'm rambling today because my brain isn't working quite properly, but and it's really important for me to, to get this out and to tell you, A, you've got to develop some sort of positive relationship, even if it's imaginary with a parent, because your health really depends on it, looking, looking upon that parent in a positive way. If you look upon the parent in a negative way all the time, every time, it negatively affects your health. End of story. I, I can't emphasize that to you enough. So even if you had a horrendous parent, if you can find something about them that you can connect to and connect to that, it's important. I know it's hard. I know it's excruciating for a lot of people. But if you hate a parent, it winds up coming out in your health. It just studies are showing this, like it's just something that I see so frequently. So even if it's imaginary, like Cynthia talked to me about this the other day, can you develop an imaginary relationship with your mother where she was caring? And there was points where I look back and I go, yeah, I really focused on, you know, that time that I had a fire in my apartment. She came right over and helped me sort that out and was there for me. So it's really important to focus on those parts of them that were good it kind of buffers that total negative opinion because if you have a horrible opinion of one parent, your chance of getting sick is about 60% by the time you're 60. If you have a horrible relationship with two parents, your chance of getting sick by the time you're 60 is about 90 to 95%. So even if you develop a positive look like, like I've done with my father, you know, he was sick, he couldn't really help himself, and I see the good times. And again, this isn't like Pollyanna, you know, cross your legs, sit on a mountaintop, kumbaya. It's really important for your own health to be able to have a positive view of parents, regardless of how bad they are. Because it affects you. If It really affects you. If you look at your parent in a totally negative way every single time you think of them, it affects your physiology. It affects your neurology. It just affects your overall general health. 
So trying to develop that positive relationship with a parent is absolutely key to your own health, regardless of how bad they were. And I don't know if I'm getting that point across because I, you know, like I said, my brain isn't working all that well today. But it's really important just to get that message across to you that find something about each parent. And if you had an absent parent, a parent that wasn't there, make it up. Like find something. The brain doesn't know the difference between often something you've made up and something that's real. So have the relationship with your parent that you would have wanted to have and expand those times. Like I expand that time with my mother when she really helped me with the fire that I had in my apartment. I really go into that, that time and place and such gr- gratitude for her for just taking charge and helping me make it through that. And I pay a lot of attention to that. And with my dad, mostly it was m- when I was younger and he would teach me how to do things you know, fishing. I remember fishing with my dad off the dock and just having a wonderful time with him. That's what I focus on. Because if I don't, if I just focus on all the negative, you know, it'll eat me alive. And right now I'm being faced with that as I see my mother declining and and moving towards death. I am faced with bringing that back up, developing a kind, loving relationship with her and allowing that to be and it doesn't have to be anything that it's not. Like, I'm not lying to myself. She wasn't the best, most attentive mother by any means at all. But there were some wonderful parts about her, for sure. And it's hard for me to go into those wonderful parts when I see her decline like this, because when I feel close to her, to see someone you love in pain is really difficult. But it also changes your neurophysiology, changes your neurochemistry, when you look at a parent with love and connection, and that's the story I was telling earlier and then got sidetracked, was I was giving her the ice cream, I was giving her the grapes, holding her hand, and there's a real moment of connection there. And then, you know, half an hour later, she's barking at me about something and she doesn't want anyone coming into the her apartment to give her her pills or any of that stuff. I don't want those people coming in. It's, And then I get annoyed. And, you know, it's like, then you're depending on me to do everything and my brother, which really annoys me. So part of the little story that I have in my head is that, look, I looked after you since I was 13 years old. I used to make her laugh. You know, I used to try and try and look after her as best I could. And I've been doing it for, I don't know, 50 years. And I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of it. But I also have to see her as a wounded child herself. And I think that's the other thing about our parents is we have to see them as wounded children as well. So when we see that, when we see that they are just wounded children and that's why they did to us or didn't do to us, didn't give us what they didn't get and develop a positive relationship with it, even if it's just in our heads, it really does affect our overall health. So that's all I got to say about that this week. I'm proud of myself for getting this out. I apologize if this is fractured today. It's just I'm not 100% right now. And... I appreciate you listening to the Anxiety Rx podcast, and I'll see you next time. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening, and if the Anxiety Rx podcast resonates with you, consider getting my book, also coincidentally called Anxiety Rx. Or you can follow me on any of the social media platforms at The Anxiety MD or my website, www.theanxietymd.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you the next time on the Anxiety Rx podcast.